Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, everyone. This is CJ. And very excited to be delivering another edition of the Serious Report with London Paul. Uh, please make sure to check out uh, theseriousreport.com, all the wonderful work that uh, Paul does on the Serious Report. And so, good morning, Paul. How are you? Yeah, good morning, CJ. I'm very well. And yourself? I'm, I'm doing great, Paul. Um, I was up uh, late working last night. And, and for our audience, I'm sorry, we kind of keep shifting this, the start times a little bit, but I have a meeting to get to. So it's... I want to get the show done today and not not miss it. So I appreciate you, Paul, jumping on on early and apologize for any inconvenience for our, our audience who uh, our times this week have been all over the place. Eight thirty nine. Well, it's not early for me because it's only half past one. So it's <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, it's not a problem for us. It might be a problem for people on the West Coast, but uh, never mind. There's, you can't cater for everybody, unfortunately, in that regard. Exactly, exactly. Well, there's there's lots to talk about. Um, you know, we've we've had you know recent news that Paul Manafort's been indicted, uh, wire fraud, tax fraud, uh, you name it. They kind of threw you know the the book at him, and then we also found out that you know Michael Cohen. Now again, I think the media is kind of twisting it a little bit. I think that they're they're stating a little bit much. I think they're they're making a little bit of a, a too much of what's going on in regards to what. Cone may or may not know. They're actually saying, "Oh, yeah, he knows that Trump knew ahead of time of the hacking." So, what say you, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I well, first of all, I think it's quite telling that both stories broke the way they have on the same day. I mean, it's like uh, from from certain angles, it's a double whammy effect. But let's let's just break it down individually, and then we'll try and come to some logical conclusions and understanding as to what's gone on. Well, of course, everybody knows the whole Manafort case. And obviously, I think the I'm not sure how many days the jury was out for before they came back. But obviously, Manafort was convicted um, in this financial fraud trial. Um, and obviously, he was convicted on, I think it was five counts of tax fraud. There was two counts of bank fraud and one count of failure to disclose a foreign bank account. And then the jury was unable to reach a verdict on the remaining 10 counts. And obviously the judge for the now has declared this mistrial on those charges. So obviously, I think the thing that the overriding factor here that none of whatever's gone on with Manafort has got anything to do with Russian collusion. But of course, there are elements who will see this as a victory for Mueller because you know, it vindicates the fact that they had all this evidence about Manafort that apparently hid all these millions of dollars in foreign accounts to evade taxes and lied to banks repeatedly to obtain millions of dollars in loans, et cetera, et cetera. So in a way, that's a justification that Mueller's doing the right things. OK, it doesn't have anything actually to do with Russian collusion, but in the course of his investigations, he's unearthed this. So there are elements who certainly will will use that to vindicate the 
this ongoing war of, of attrition that's going on with regards to Russian collusion and, and the fact they're trying to pin something on Trump in the process. So, I mean, it remains to be seen, obviously, now what happens with regards to, um, to Manafort. But obviously, as we say, it didn't touch directly on anything to do with Mueller's investigation into Russian interference. Uh, and I think that's probably the most telling aspect in regards to trying to, in some way, suggest that you know there's some tie-up between Trump and Manafort. The only the only tie-up is the fact that he was Trump's former, uh, you know, campaign chairman, and that's that's as far as it goes. Now, obviously, with Cohen, it's a slightly different situation because obviously he was Trump's personal attorney. Now he's pleaded guilty to eight federal crimes. Um, and one of them is lying about his income to evade income taxes, lying to banks to obtain loans, and saying making illegal contributions to, to benefit Trump's uh, campaign. Now, obviously, prosecutors charge Cohen with two counts of violating campaign finance laws by they're saying arranging payoffs to silence two women who claim to have had affairs with Trump. Um, and obviously, you know. I can't be bothered going into all the detail of who it is because everyone can read about that. But the issue is that obviously, you know, I think he was quite surprised by somebody declaring, you know, that that Cohen said that he declared he made those payments at the direction of the candidate. And they're saying by whom he plainly meant Trump. OK. And he said also said he did so specifically to influence the outcome of the election. Um. And then additionally, of course, the Justice Department alleged in a court filing that Cohen had coordinated with one or more members of the campaign, including through meetings and phone calls, about the fact, nature and timing of the payments, and Cohen pleaded guilty to that allegation. Now, of course, the court record doesn't name names other than Cohen's, but the claim is it provides sufficient detail to identify individuals and organisations involved in the public record of this whole sort of chain of events. Now, obviously, because it's, you know, the question is then again is, for me, the immediate thing is everyone's going to go, oh, well, you know, on one side of the fence, well, Trump's he's going to get impeached because of this. Well, from my perspective, I think that's highly unlikely. Um, I mean, and, and there's, a, there's a perfectly logical, rational reason for me to think this because, okay, let's break it down. I had to go back and read this, but obviously there are three impeachable offences, treason, bribery, and, and this rather vague high crimes and misdemeanours. And we know the House of Representatives has the responsibility to accuse the president of one of those things, and then obviously if the majority of the House agree, a president's then impeached. And then the Senate votes on impeachment, which under the US Constitution requires a two-thirds majority. Now, obviously, in Trump's case, if you're going to start an impeachment process, let's say, let's say even there's any legs to do that, but let's work through the logic that that's a possibility and it, and, it, and it came to pass. Well, you'd need this huge revolt by Republicans against him in the House of Representatives, which is obviously controlled by the GOP. I mean, and that is an event highly unlikely, especially with the midterm elections on the horizon. <laughs> I mean, that would be like political suicide for them to do that and if you noticed even on the back of the whole cohen thing the democrats are being pretty quiet about things not talking about impeachment because 
they realise it's more likely to just galvanise the Republican base before the midterm elections. Um, and I, I don't, and I think also actually, not that I value public opinions particularly, but apparently there's this general disquiet amongst American people when asked if they'd like to see Trump impeached uh, should the Democrats win control of the House. And I'm not suggesting they're going to win control of the House, as we said. I think the only likelihood of that happening is if we have an economic meltdown before the midterms. And you know, whatever anyone thinks, the, the cabal is not going to try, it doesn't want to have another economic meltdown. People go, oh, they're engineering it. No, they're absolutely not. The reason they're not is because they know the dollar dies. When the dollar dies, it's game over. So they're going to struggle on with this as long as they can, thinking maybe there's some way they can wriggle out of it, even though in reality they can't. So it's not in their interest to collapse the economy. It doesn't mean it can't happen coincidentally and completely out of their control but i think provided the you know there isn't some global economic meltdown then i think trump is probably likely to to you know win the midterms and therefore that changes the whole sort of you know view of what happens obviously if he doesn't then you may think the risk of of future impeachment might increase but then of course you know, the issue is, it's, it, obviously, it's a political process. I mean, the jury's basically 100 U.S. senators who want to be, you know, re-elected as well. And, you know, and for some, it's a re-nomination. So two-thirds of them would have to vote to convict. And, and even if the Democrats did take control of the House, you'd still need probably, I don't know what, well, simple math, 17 Republican senators will be willing to vote with around 50 Democrats to convict Trump you know, of impeachment. I, I just don't see that really happening. I mean, you can never say never, but, but I think more important than anything to do with impeachment, or I think what this is to do is an attempt to say, well, this is a campaign, former campaign manager. This is Trump's former attorney. Uh, and, and it's a way of just trying to discredit Trump. I think it's an attempt to try and convince the American uh, electorate prior to midterms that, you know, you can't trust your president. Look at the people he associates with. And I think that's more what the, is, is one aspect, but an important aspect. And the other one is to give credibility to allow the Mueller investigation to carry on. When I think, to a large extent, I think everyone was beginning to go, you know, this is running out of steam, it's pointless. Well, where's this investigation going? The, in terms of Manafort, that gives it ammunition to say, well, look, you know, okay, it doesn't relate directly to or in any capacity to, to the alleged Russian interference. But what it does is it highlights that this investigation has, has some credibility because we've, you know, convicted someone on the basis of the investigation, albeit for something indirectly. So unfortunately, in that regard, that does give that investigation more ammunition to carry on, which even though from the mandate of what should have been specified that was under investigation, it's a complete, completely futile and they're getting nowhere and they're unlikely to get anywhere. I mean, let's face it, if they can't find a shred of, of evidence of Russian um, interference by now, they're never going to. You know, how, how long does this investigation have to go on to, to prove the point that you're never going to find a shred of evidence? So I think, more importantly, that's what this is about. But also, it's another way of trying to 
do the age-old thing of divide and conquer. And that's what mainstream politics has been about, whether you're in the UK, whether you're in the US or any practically any other Western nation in the process. They want to give the idea, oh, you know, we're the Republicans and, you know, vote us in and we'll change everything. And, of course, things just get progressively worse. And when everyone's had voter fatigue, they go, oh, we've had enough. Let's let's vote for the Democrats because, you know, because Obama is all about change and it's going to make this huge difference. And, of course, when he got voted, I sat there going, well, absolutely nothing's going to change. And, of course, nothing changed and things got progressively worse. And the difference now is that whilst Trump is notionally a Republican, from my perspective, he's absolutely not a Republican. He's completely apolitical. He's not a politician. He just happens to be the U.S. president. And he's got a job to do and he's doing his damnedest to to do exactly that, which is taking a wrecking ball to the cabal. So in a way, his affiliation with the Republican Party is merely a mechanism to allow him to be president and do the job he's trying to do, which is why he is disliked by elements within the Republican movement. But increasingly, I don't think it's as bad as it was, uh, you know, when he was first elected. And of course, there was a lot of dissension prior to him even becoming president during the whole presidential campaign. So I think we have to factor that in, of course, as on the back of that, there's all these various groups that affiliate themselves with Democrats and Republicans, and that the, the risk is they can be used to, to also subvert Trump in the process. And I, have, I do have concerns that, they, that the credibility of, of certain elements who support Trump could then be attempt, they could attempt to use it against Trump in the future as a way of discrediting him. It doesn't have anything to do with what these groups do or don't do or anything like that. It's just a mechanism by which to to divide and conquer the American people in some vain hope that come the midterms they can you know, turn things on, on its head and somehow the House of Representatives is taken over by the Democrats. And, and then the, there's some vain hope then that they can end up impeaching Trump and bring the status quo back to the beltway, which is precisely what they want to because Trump's the one thing he has done he's he's wrecked the the beltways status quo and he's done a hell of a lot of damage with regards to to their vehicles such as the mainstream media in the process Paul great points I I, I completely agree I see them the uh, the left utilizing this uh, especially what you said regarding politics and the left right paradigm the divide and conquer I, I completely agree uh, there's no doubt that the media will use utilize this to attempt to energize uh, the base of the Democratic Party in hopes of uh, some midterm swinging some of those critical uh, states. Uh, one other thing uh, I want to ask is that do you think this will put uh, more pressure on uh, Trump to to testify uh, with Mueller? Do you think there now be more public pressure for him to say, you know, for the, they say, hey, if you have nothing to hide, you know, then then you need to testify. What does what does that do for for potentially him meeting with, uh, with uh, Mueller and having having that uh, that that testimony? Oh, I agree. I think you make a, an extremely good point that that's precisely there'll be some angle into that. I mean, you know, it's quite simple that the logical argument always goes, well, if Trump's got nothing to hide, then go and talk to Mueller and, and what's the problem? Well, it's got nothing to do with what he's got to hide. The question is, if he if he does, you know, testify or, or whatever the process is to 
with Mollet. The risk is that he he inadvertently trips himself up on under some sort of aspect of the law. I mean, let's face it: if any of us were put in that situation as a president, we you know we don't understand every aspect of law. That's why you have advisors to to advise you when you say and do things. So okay, I'm I'm the president. You know, if I want to impl implement this course of action, what's the legal perspective? Well, Mr. President, you should do that because you risk being impeached if you do that. You know, I'm not saying impeachment ever happens necessarily. I mean, of course, it happened with Clinton, and um, of course, it, it never came to pass. But the point is that that's why you have that legal advice. And I think, you know, at one point, certainly Trump was, well, like, why don't I just do it? It's no problem. And I think his legal team said, hang on, you know, you could be setting yourself up for a fall here. It's got nothing to do with whether you're, you know, you, you're hiding anything or you're guilty of anything, that's not the point. The point is that it, you know, Mueller's not doing it because he's got, you know, if my, well, my point is if Mueller had anything on Trump, <laughs> I think something would have long since happened. The point is he's trying to invite Trump into the lair, so to speak, to try and, you know, see if in some way he may say or something that gives him a shred, you know, it's like a dog with a bone. You can just give it, you know, throw some some bone in his direction that might give him something to gnaw on for the next six months and see if he can keep, you know, this this whole sort of gravy train bandwagon of this investigation going when clearly it's failed completely. And but I think Trump needs to also, you know, whilst he's correct in saying it's a witch hunt, and I, I don't think they're too strong a words to use. He needs to be careful how and when he uses those state makes those statements and, and the context he's making them in. Um, Correct. And when he makes them, you know, rather than just carte blanche every time something happens, well, this, you know, this Mueller investigation's a witch hunt. I mean, I think there was some reference to that when he was asked about Manafort. Well, it's got nothing to do with it. Don't, in some people's minds, link the two because he should say, you know, the clear statement is. Okay, what's happened to Manafort's happened? I'm, I'm not here as a president to comment on that. But what I can say is, quite legitimately, that what happened with Manafort has got nothing to do with Russian collusion. And I want that, you know, the American people to understand that. That you've got to pick your battles and how you say and, and do things and approach things to maximize benefit. But if you in some way say something in some people's minds, they might, you know, a month or a week down the track somehow link the two together so you have to be extremely careful host and that's why you know just it's not often it's not often what you say it's how you say it that can influence people from the u.s electorate it may influence lawmakers it can influence anything it might it's not you know it's just the context of how you say things or you may say something that somehow links some things together even though that's not what you mean i mean how often do you watch, we all watch films or you watch series and, you know, in courts of law, they try to trip people up. I mean, the classic one is asking a thousand questions, a hundred miles an hour in the hope that someone will say yes when they meant no. You know, it's that, it's that kind of process. That's a very simplistic view, but that's exactly how the situation works. So, no, I mean, I think they'll try to use it as more ammunition to, to justify why Trump needs to, you know, go and, you know, talk to, to Mueller. But I think he should just stand firm and say, no, I'm not doing it. And, you know, there's, there's something else that's worth putting in the context, that they made this big thing about all these campaign donations. But 
I went back because something kind of came back into my head and and found obviously back in January, okay, 2013, it's some time ago, but Obama's presidential campaign was fined $375,000 by the Federal Election Commission for violating federal disclosure laws. Now, what they said is this FEC audit of Obama for America's 2008 records found the committee failed to disclose millions of dollars in contributions and dragged its feet in refunding millions more in excess contributions. Now, that fine is one of the largest ever handed down by the FEC. And of course, it was the failure to disclose or improperly disclose thousands of contributions to Obama's 2008 presidential run. Now, I remember at the time, you know, I mean, what they're saying is he actually, Obama failed to disclose the sources of 1,300 large donations, which totaled nearly $2 million. And of course, electoral commission rules state that, you know, you have to report donations of $1,000 or more within 20 days of election day. Now, I, you know, at the time, it was all like, well, yeah, there's a bit of a slap on the wrist, bit of a fine, let's all forget about it and move on. And that shows the difference between how matters are treated with the Obama administration and the Trump administration. And, you know, if someone wants to to make an issue of things, then, you know, perhaps someone in, I'm, I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but, you know, someone needs to say within the Trump administration, well, hang on, look at this situation. And, you know, we didn't have all these people foaming at the mouth about that. It was all kind of almost quietly swept under the carpet, get your wrist slapped, pay the fine, let's pretend it never happened. And, mm -hmm. and that's a big distinction between what's gone on with the Obama administration and the Trump administration. So therefore, that's why I keep coming back to the point, because people keep saying, oh, but Trump's foreign policy is so neocon, it's clearly obvious he's, he's just a neocon and he's a cabal stooge. Well, no, he's not. The problem Trump has is that his foreign policy has been hijacked by neocons. That is a big difference between him being a neocon and his and having his um, foreign policy hijacked by them. They're very different things, and they're hugely different outcomes. So everyone knows how long have they been trying to do everything to impeach Trump and get rid of it. That's precisely why the Mueller investigation is carrying on in perpetuity, because they're just trying to hope that somehow they'll unearth a shred of evidence that eventually will lead to this huge sort of daisy chain of, of events that means they can impeach Trump. That's what this is ultimately, of course. I and mean, this may seem like a very logical, or I might be you know, stating the obvious, but the point is, this is another reason why this idea that Trump's some covert cabal operative, I'm sorry, it just doesn't wash, and it has no, absolutely no justification for thinking that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's interesting because that's specifically the only potential tie that they have in regards to Cohn is apparently the the funding and the money that was utilized to uh, pay off uh, Stormy. You know, her, her her payoff, and they're stating that potentially that that was you know campaign funds that were you know illegally sourced. Well, that's that's not a criminal activity. Yeah, it's probably a violation of some F, you know Federal Election Commission rules, uh, but throughout history there's been numerous campaigns and that's a perfect example uh with obama's campaign so it's not like this isn't oh my gosh this has happened this is for the for the first time that this has ever happened in history paul paul the other thing i want to i want to shift gears just a little bit and talk specifically you know because they keep pushing you know this narrative in regards to uh russia um the collusion with trump 
and even a lot more in regards to our election systems and, and hacking and, and cybersecurity. Uh, last weekend, uh, 60 Minutes did a huge expose on, on you know, the, the, the insiders, the intelligent insiders that saw this happening with, with the Russians and they tried warning Obama and, you know, they, they keep building this up. And I, I want to talk a little bit also regarding what Microsoft is doing as well and what Microsoft has shared a little bit in regards to some of the website that they screen in. And now they're also joining in the anxiety of, of, uh, of, of Russia and that they're out to meddle in our elections and steal. Um, can, we, can we talk a little bit about around that as, as far as the narrative being pushed, uh, you know, with the media with, with regards to Russia hacking? Yeah. Well, of course, the thing is when it, I mean, you, we could all argue it's a complete coincidence that these things happen, but you kind of always feel with the Mueller investigation when it when it's starting to die a death and, and people have had Mueller investigation fatigue and people are going, well, hang on, it's not really unearthing anything. Suddenly something somewhere decides to go, well, we, we you know, we, we, we have reason to believe that the Russians were trying to gain inside access to campaign information. And, of course, there was this article that came out about Microsoft and it said that the Microsoft engineers scanned 220 million net domain names to find a few domains that seem to have similarities with known products or known institutional names. And they list all these websites, which we, you know, we can not bother going into. It doesn't really matter. But these names that Microsoft claimed could potentially, potentially, it's that old word of potentially or maybe or the inference, you know, but it says potentially could be mistaken for the name of known entities and could thus be used for login spoofing or email phishing campaigns. Well, well, yes, it's possible, but where's the evidence? Again, it always comes back to present the stone-cold hard evidence. And the same Microsoft claimed that these domain names were trademark infringements of its Office product, uh, and it said as well as this conservative Hudson, Hudson interview the International Republican Institute and the U.S. Senate. Now, this judge has agreed and allowed the company to seize the domain names. So they now redirect to Microsoft these so-called honeypot servers, and any attempt to access them will be locked. Now, its PR department held this press conference and then managed to sort of, well, the claim is that they spun this scare story of a Russian threat around the seized domain names. But, Tellingly, it didn't provide any evidence or explanation how the seized domain names might or might not be related to Russia. I mean, that's this is the whole point. If you're going to make these accusations, prove it. But the problem with even sort of very minimal understanding of how the Internet operates, you know, anyone can spoof an IP address. And I could, you know, I could be pretend I was sat in Tehran or maybe I was in Washington or maybe Beijing or maybe Moscow. And. And then give the impression, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm actually located here when, in fact, I'm not I'm in the UK. So that is no evidence. There has to be far more evidence than just, well, an IP address located in this country was seen to be trying to hack, you know, whatever it might be um, in the process. So, of course, as they said, you know, the fact is that um, they didn't provide this evidence or explanation. And, and then, of course, they said that journalists were pointed to a blog post by Microsoft's president, which included some statements about Russian elections. And, you know, and, and of course, no doubt this, this just injected the fear 
um, that, um, that, you know, there was some Russian involvement. And, of course, then the company made sure to emphasize the offer that if taken up, it will give its strategic intelligence department valuable insights into election campaigns. Now, of course, what this means is that, in essence, Microsoft wants to gain an insider view on candidates and election campaign at the federal, state, and local level. Now, correct me, what do we really think that should happen? And, you know, based on the fact that they found some threat and linked it to the Russians, is this, is this a backdoor way of getting Microsoft in to do the very thing that they want to do? I, I don't know, I, but it, it just seems, you know, oh, you know, take us upon our offer and we'll put your emails and internal strategy papers and financial records onto Microsoft-owned and administrative servers where Microsoft personnel will have a special eye on them. I mean, it's... The whole thing, well, A, there's no evidence it relates to Russia. I mean, you know, and we have to, I have to say, look, if you're going to make these accusations, then produce the evidence. Because, of course, Microsoft didn't explicitly blame the Russian intelligence agencies for, the, for these attacks or, or anything of that nature. So, again, it's just more, you know, it's part of that process of getting people to, to believe certain things. It's... And in a way, you know, you, we could argue that Trump's trying to go to Helsinki and, and meet with Putin. He wants to normalize relations with the Russians. There's all this accusation of Russian interference in the election. It's another way of making the American people go, hang on, there's all this Russian interference. You know, Mueller's probably right. They just haven't unearthed the evidence. And therefore, you know, I have to question why I'd ever vote for the Republicans. Oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll switch to the Democrats or... You know, maybe if I've had enough of the Democrats, but I'm definitely not going to vote for for the Republicans because there's all this issue to do with you know, allegations that there's there's links to Russia. And I'm not being rude, but a lot of people just hear the word Russia and they'll go, oh, well, it must be true. And, and therefore, there's substance to, OK, they don't bother reading the fact that they didn't produce any concrete, solid evidence um, in that regard. And that, again, is a big problem, and it just fuels this anxiety and this kind of complete Russophobic nonsense that you know, exists in the U.S. And, and really, it's just become the political hot potato to use against Trump and also in the process, because I think if this had never happened, Trump by now probably would have gone a long way to normalizing relations with Russia, and the world would have been a very, very different place than it is now, and we certainly wouldn't have had an eighth of the problems in the US. I mean, in all honesty, it hasn't really affected Russia what's gone on, but they've dealt with the problem, they're perfectly okay. But from Trump's perspective, it's stymied and thwarted a lot of his attempts to resolve the myriad of internal problems that he needs to address. To address. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul, you alluded to this, I think, last week in one of the morning shows and talking about you know states' rights, uh, state sovereignty, and, you know, this message kind of goes to both the left and the right. But there's, you know, again, this this big push to, you know, push this threat of our of our election systems, our our the, the, the voting systems and the, the Department of Homeland Security, you know, apparently, you know, has been warning states and, you know, showed them examples. I think we're at risk here. And again, you know, the left and right need to be aware of this is that I think what we're witnessing is, is, a, is a major attempt to, you know, federalize 
all elections and election systems to, you know, and, and I've stated this before, you know, bring those under DHS to be able to basically be able to manipulate every election, you know, you know, down to, to, to you know, governors and everything else. And, and we, we should be aware of that. And, you know, I think they continue to push the, the Russian collusion, not only in the aspects of Trump, but also that, you know what, they, they're tired of fighting this battle every four or eight years when it's time to decide who goes to Washington, D.C. Uh, therefore, we need to take a look at the election system and, you know, declare it a, a you know, a, a, you know, a, a national security threat and, and make sure it's bring it under the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, that's just that's just my opinion, Paul. No, you well, you it's a very valid opinion. And, you know, you might be hitting the nail on the head. That is the other risk in in terms of how the election process works. And and most definitely the. Look, the, the obvious, obvious question for me is, I, I don't doubt there was collusion in the, in the U.S. elections. The collusion was to try and make sure Trump didn't win. And Trump still won because I think, it, in reality, Trump didn't just win. It was a landslide. I think he won by a huge greater margin than he ended up actually officially winning. And that's why I think the, the Clinton... Uh, campaign and Clinton itself was so gobsmacked that somehow, hang on, how did I not get elected? I think I think that they're still in shell shock trying to work out how they didn't. So I don't doubt there was collusion. I'm not saying it's got nothing to do with the Russians, but I think there was collusion or there was something going on to try and attempt to ensure that Trump didn't get elected. And of course, he still got elected irrespective. And that shows the you know, just how huge his actual majority would have been if, if, they, if the results hadn't been rigged. I, I don't doubt there was rigging going on in the election, but they tried to make out, you know, it's that age-old thing, it's what a projectionist do. They project the very thing onto other people that they're guilty of doing themselves. And I, I don't doubt there was elements trying to, to, I mean, there was a lot of allegations, and I can't substantiate and prove any of it myself, clearly not, about that there was certainly some election fraud going on um, during um, the 2016 presidential elections. And I very much would believe it was related to the fact of, I mean, I got, I heard stories like Trump was 30% ahead and 35% ahead. It was like going to be the, you know, the biggest landslide victory for a, for a U.S. president. But I mean, if he's that far ahead, then, It'd be very hard to rig it sufficient to make you make you know Clinton win. I mean, if it had been closer and you know maybe he was five, ten, fifteen percent or whatever, they may have actually succeeded in rigging the election to make sure he didn't win. And that's why, as soon as Trump got elected, then this whole debacle of Russian interference and everything had to come out to try and discredit Trump in some vain hope they could get him out of office. And in the process, stymie the one thing Trump wanted to do which was to normalize relations with Russia, which would have been a serious hammer blow to, to the Beltway and the cabal interests inside Washington and beyond for that matter. So I think there's clear evidence that, that supports that viewpoint. And, and it, of course, it's now been spun on its head that somehow there was all this uh, interference in the election. But And I think increasingly those people now saying, well, actually, yeah, there's all this interference, but ultimately it didn't do anything to the election result anyway. When in fact, of course, it did do. It just lessened uh, Trump's uh, majority in in the in you know the Senate and the Congress. Right. Correct. Correct. 
Paul, um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about we continue to monitor uh, the, the the major shifts, major pivots occurring, you know, globally in regards to uh, the dollar. And now we're getting reports that Germany is actually calling for a new global payment system independent of the U.S. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, this is the whole process. I mean, I spoke, I mean, I'm not sort of bigging myself up here, but the truth is I was the person who broke the story that back in four years ago that Germany was rotating east towards Russia and was in the process and and all these preliminary discussions were going on in that regard and they continue. It's nothing to do with Merkel or anyone like that. And at the time, people said, this is a load of nonsense. You're talking absolute rubbish. This is never going to happen. Germany's never going to pivot east. It's never going to pivot away from from Washington. None of this is ever going to happen. Of course, it's absolutely what is happening. And I think this is just a, a further indication of Germany's rotation east. And it, this is this eventually will be that one one of the sort of pivot points that breaks the backbone of the cabal because we've always said that the one thing they feared was Chinese and the Russian rapprochement and developing bilateral relations. They're absolutely scared witless because China and Russia's relationship has never been any stronger. I mean, I've said this and I will continue to say, I don't think you've ever seen in it, I, well, certainly in modern history, and, and that would include the last hundred, few hundred years. I mean, I can't comment what may have happened 2,000 years ago or something between nations, but the relationship between, between China and Russia is pretty unique. And that terrified them, which is why they want Trump to go and try and drive a wedge between China and Russia via Russia. They have a different motivation with Trump and, and Putin than Trump has with Putin, obviously. But then the, an even bigger fear is the fact that you drive a wedge between Washington and, and Berlin. I mean, because whatever anyone thinks, Germany's been is a vassal state of, of the Beltway, the Cabal, the deep state. That is self-evident. So when you break that vassal status, that's one thing. But when you then see a clear evidence that Berlin's having reproachment with with Moscow, not just uh, covertly, but overtly, then you form the new backbone of the multipolar world, which is the Berlin-Moscow-Beijing axis. And you can, you can put in nations like Tehran in the process, you can put in nations like Turkey, and you can you know, apply it to Japan. These are all were key vassal states of, of the cabal. And one by one, they've collapsed. And it's something, again, I said, this is where we're going. This is what's going to happen. All these key vassal nations will will disappear and will cease to be controlled by the cabal. And again, people said, well, that's never going to happen. Well, once again, that's precisely what is happening. So all these developments are just indicative of the one thing, the big goal, that's we're not going to attack the dollar because there's no point attacking the cabal. It's what they want. They want someone to attack them. It's like Ukraine. They wanted the Russians to go to war in Ukraine, and they went, you must be mad. They're never going to do that because eventually Ukraine will collapse and your plan will fail. Um, and that's what you don't do, and it's the same. You don't attack the dollar. You just don't use the dollar. You just isolate the dollar that way by refusing to use it. So increasingly nation after nation is going, well, we'll just de-dollarize 
will have currency swaps and, and the list goes on and on and on. And we've seen this over the, the last two or three years, but certainly an acceleration of it in the last 12 months or so. And of course, that's the ultimate goal. You don't attack the dollar. You just don't use it. And by virtue of not using it, the dollar dies because it comes back to the point the gravy train will carry on for the for the cabal as long as they can utilize the dollar. But once the dollar dies, because no one's using it, then at that point, it's game over for them because their credit card's gone. Their dollar's extinguished. What are they going to use? They can't export any of their, their debt anymore. They can't blackmail the rest of the world into US or Germany. You know, if you don't do this, we'll sanction you or good luck sanctioning me when you don't have any dollar anymore to sanction us with. And, and that's the other part of the process that the world learned very quickly from Ukraine when it was a clear attempt by, uh, by the cabal to say, okay, well, we're going to drag Russia into a pointless war that they can't win. In essence, it was almost like a sort of version of dragging the Soviet Union into the Afghan war, which Brzezinski from the cabal perspective, very intelligently did because it's a war they could never win. And it was the same process. Let's drag them into a war in, in Ukraine. They're never going to win it. Public opinion will turn against them. And in the process, we can sanction them on spurious grounds. But yeah, that they're not implementing the Minsk agreements, even though the Minsk agreements has got nothing to do with Russia. It's to do with um, Kiev and Donbass. But they somehow spun that, that it's, a Russian problem. So they implemented the sanctions and the sanctions blew up in their face. And in the process, the uh, Russia de-dollarized. And what happened as soon as Russia de-dollarizes, look at the Russian economy. It's, it's, it's turned on its head and gone from being very weak despite sanction to, to being actually pretty strong economy. It's got very little debt and, and its economy in relative terms is a heck of a lot stronger and more healthy than, than the US is. And that's the lesson the world learned. They went, hang on, do you know what? It doesn't really actually bother us if we do de-dollarize. Because when we do in the process, we actually free ourselves of US or Germany. We free ourselves of being controlled by the dollar. And it's actually beneficial. And it took really the cabal to make a, a major faux pas in Ukraine for the world to go, hang on, we, we know how to handle this. But initially, the Russian central bank Fail. We're almost going to repeat the same nonsense that every other nation is doing to handle it. And Putin went, hang on, no, this isn't how we're doing it. This is how we're going to do it. And they did it the right way. They didn't get the IMF in, et cetera, et cetera. And the rest history. So now increasingly, of course, when the US tries to threaten nations and bully them with sanctions and bully them with reprisals, nations are going, well, actually, OK, we won't use the dollar. And by the way, we're we're going to protect our own interests and find a, an alternative way of, of conducting finance with other nations, be it through SIPs or, but certainly not using the SWIFT payment system. And, and it's inevitable this is going to happen. And increasingly, that's the way you, you, you sort of kill and stifle the dollar. Because in a way, Washington's giving people the ace card to do it because they're saying, well, you're threatening us with sanctions. So, yeah, we will de-dollarize. We're not going to be bullied by you. Okay, if you don't want us to use the dollar, we won't use the dollar. And then they're turning around going, oh, hang on, that didn't pan out because they didn't accept being bullied and coerced and they're actually not using the dollar.
But the problem is the, there's a huge mindset inside the Beltway that still thinks the dollar reigns supreme, even though dollar transactions is in, in, in terms of SWIFT payments is considerably less than 50% now. So the dollar isn't maybe the world's reserve currency, but in payment terms, it's, it's, it's falling off a cliff edge, although it'll be in slow motion. It's not exactly like 50%, 40 30 in a matter of weeks, but it's a slow sort of organic process of de-dollarization, which is undermining the dollar's position as the world reserve currency, and that has to happen. And Trump knows this. So I keep reiterating this. Trump knows the dollar has to die, and it's the, the only way to extinguish the cabal, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, inside the U.S. And and that's the only way the U.S. will truly progress is when, ironically, it no longer has the world's reserve currency. It no longer has the cabal doing what it's doing to the rest of the world and the U.S. in the process because, of course, they don't give a damn about anyone in the U.S. They're, they're just there as cannon fodder to do whatever the U.S. wants to do internationally. All they want is international control. And if what happens internally in the U.S. really doesn't concern them. And that's lot is the irony of partisan mainstream politics. All these people vote and, and spend all this time investing in political parties when ultimately they do nothing for people internally. And it's all about their presence on the world stage, but particularly more so for the U.S. because, it, you know, the dollar depends on that. And that's exactly what's happening. So you're going to see increasingly more and more nations doing precisely this. And in the process, it takes us ever closer to that point where it's the end of the dollar, it's the end of the cabal and the world, including the Western world, because large parts of the rest of the world are already living in a different financial paradigm. They're already operating outside the dollar and going, well, everything's working fine, so we'll just keep doing this. We'll minimize as much your, you know, our usage of the dollar and they can't totally eliminate it. But they're eliminating it on a on a basis that they can man it's manageable rather than just pulling the plug. Although in extreme cases, some nations have pulled the plug and it's been perfectly fine in the process because they've had Chinese assistance in in managing that process. But yeah, no one should be surprised by any of this. But uh, I think the thing is, in two, three, four, five years from now, and it probably will take that long before we get through completely through all this process. We get all get out the other side and the world's normalized in a post-cabal world. It's not this idea that you just remove someone or remove a group of people and everything changes because the question is, how does a, how does a nation function without a cabal government? How does it function without all the people who are, you know, on the, the cabal gravy train? You have to, you have to find a way of replacing these people with, with a system and people you can trust to, to to effectively govern a country in a light touch way and not this draconian way that nations are governed. But equally, there's people who seem to think, well, we don't need a government. Let's just not have it. Okay, we'll see how long a nation of 350 million people in 4 million square miles with all the infrastructure requirements that need to be supported operates on that basis. It will collapse overnight. And then if you think you don't need a government well, what about all the nuclear silos dotted all around the US? Who's going to manage those and look after them and decommission them ultimately and, and make them safe? Who's going to support all the, the borders between the US and Mexico and Canada and all the coastline 
Who's going to manage the water facilities? Who's going to manage all the infrastructure, the roads, the railways, the bridges? Who's going to pay for all this if you don't have a government? No one. So therefore, you have to have a government. Sorry, but for me, for too long, people have been living in this utopian existence that that's how the world's going to operate. Well, it's not. The important thing is when the cabal's gone, government will be not the way it is now. It will work efficiently. People will have far more opportunities to do the thing they want to do and they're capable of doing. But the hard works, if we if people think they've had to work hard in life so far, they're going to have to work even harder. But the difference is they'll get the rewards for doing so where people now don't get rewarded at all. They just get stuck in a meat grinder. And effectively, they, their life is just one constant struggle just to get make ends meet on a weekly basis. That will go. But it's going to be a, a big challenge as well to change people's perspective of how they treat each other and how the world will change. Because it's not going to change really the way people imagine. And particularly in the short term, there's going to be a lot of pain to, to for a for a period of time till we get through the other side. And then we have to have the re-education process and understanding, you know, for people in the West that basically everything you've ever been told is a lie and an illusion. How do you how do you change the world? And then people go, well, hang on, the world's like this, and it used to be like this. Okay, so what's changed? Why did this all change? People are going to start asking questions and want answers. And the answers are going to be very difficult for people to swallow, and how do people react to it? So there are enormous challenges that come in with freedom, and we, it's worth reiterating this because I, I think we have to manage everyone's expectations that this isn't some sort of, oh, well, we just remove all the cabal and, and everything's fine the following day and the world just moves on normally. Think how many years it's taken Russia to resolve. I mean, that was infested with Western cabal. It's taken Putin a long time to remedy the problems there. And that's a pretty big nation. I mean, okay, geographically, it's ginormous. Its population is only, what, 100 and odd million. So it's, it's slightly less in population terms, but it's a ginormous nation. And it's taken a long time to resolve it. And people say about the reset, well, Russia's gone through its reset. It took about 12 years, 13, 14 years to sort out. But they've come out through the other side and they're, they're living in a very different world, even though it's the same world. And to, to a larger or lesser extent, we all as nations have to go through that process to get out the other side. It's not some magic light switch moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul, um, thank you so much for a great show today. Really appreciate it. Uh, any any closing thoughts, Paul, um, before we uh, wrap this up? Yeah, just look, at the end of the day, the cabal's on its last legs. It's finished. It's game over for them. That is never in doubt, but it's like it's like anything. I use the analogy, Germany lost the war by about 1941. It took four more years for them to capitulate and the war to end. And I'm not using it as a direct analogy, but my point is things take a long time to progress. Don't lose heart and feel nothing's happening and there isn't progress being made. There is, but it, it was always going to take a long time, but it's going to happen eventually. And and don't 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 feel that's not going to happen. And just because you know it may not happen how you envisage it's going to happen doesn't mean it won't happen. And and we need to be critical of what's going on. And 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 rather than just everything Trump does is oh everything's fine, don't worry about this. We need to be mindful. Not that it materially changes the outcome, but I think it's important that 
we all manage our expectations as to what exactly is unfolding. But, you know, I've said since 2012 the Cabal's finished, it's game over, it's going to take a long time, but they're running out of steam, they're running out of ideas, and they're going to fail, and they've continually failed pretty much since then in everything they've tried to do. And are now facing, you know, the end of the dollar. When that's going to happen precisely, we don't know. It doesn't really, you know, worrying about is it going to be next week, next month, or maybe January or March or maybe November 2020. No, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it's going to happen. It will happen when it's going to happen. And worrying about it is not going to change the process. The process is event-driven. It's Nothing can now stop this process, absolutely nothing. And I'm serious when I say that. Nothing is going to stop the process. It's, it's, it's a juggernaut that's now got its own momentum, and certain things can accelerate it. But nothing's going to stop it. And you might get occasions where odd things temporarily, not derail it, but slow it down. But in the end, it is going to prevail and we will come out the other side. And I would safely predict in X number of years from now, and not it's not 10 years or 20 years, but a few years, we'll all turn around and the world will be a much better place for everybody. And we'll reflect on a period of history and quite wonder how the hell it ever happened. But it has happened. And we need to learn from those lessons and move on and make the world a far better place for everybody. And ultimately, that's all I care about. I don't care about anything else because everybody in the world deserves to have a quality and a decency of life and have true freedom to be able to do the things they want to do and to be able to gain the rewards for doing that and not to live under this draconian barbaric system that has existed that most people aren't even aware exists. So trying to end on a po- to be positive but i'm very positive about the future and i hope people share that sentiment but i understand why people get distraught and and get anxious and feel like the you know despair and feel like nothing's going to happen but don't get sucked into this constant micromanaging well it's going to happen tomorrow because because i read this or no it's next week because all you're setting yourself up for is disappointment and frustration just watch what actually unfolds and we'll do our best to try and, you know, as Rogue News does and other people, to try and highlight where, the direction we're going in. And and that will give some indication as to how we're progressing in this event-driven scenario. Let's follow the facts. At the end of the day, stone-cold facts will always win through. Speculation never does. And that's all we can deal with is facts. Very well said, Paul. Paul, uh, please also share how listeners can learn more about the Sears Report, how they can, uh, your subscription-based system as well. If you could do that for me, please, that'd be great. Well, thank you for very much for, for suggesting to do so. I mean, obviously, it's the SiriusReport.com. That's S-I-R-I-U-S. Yeah, we have the Twitter page. There's a lot of free material on the website, but predominantly we have a subscription-based podcast um, so, uh, service, which is, 480 odd episodes now and we do five a week they're very detailed it's very compact information probably what i talk about in an hour on a show i'll do in 15 or 20 minutes is that compact often people say they need to go back and listen to it again but we try to give extremely good value for money and people believe that we do and if you want to subscribe you know we would appreciate you doing so it's four dollars 75 a month it's not relatively expensive we kept it cheap that very reason that we believe 
you know people should have access to it but at the end of the day we have to put food on the table and do it and it's a full-time job this isn't some part-time job on the side where i have another job and earn huge amounts of money because i don't do anything of the sort that's not the case and it and it is a full-time job and we devote that time and effort to it and of course we come on rogue money and we're very grateful for doing it they gave us a lot of exposure and it's always a pleasure to come on and and try and fill these shoes in the process (laughs) (laughs) paul thank you so much Uh, really appreciate it for our listeners uh, please like, share, subscribe. Also go to roguenews.com. Uh, make sure you keep uh, keying your email there as well so that way we can keep you updated uh, You know, as we continue to look for solutions to uh, navigate away from some of the existing systems. So, uh, yeah, again, roguenews.com. Uh, subscribe there as well. Uh, that way we can keep everybody posted. So, Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, for our listeners, everyone have a great day, and, and thank you once again, Paul. It's a pleasure.